Open your Bibles, please, to the book of James. The book of James, we're going to be there tonight. I'm always thankful for the opportunity to come up here and preach, but I will have to admit, I do get pretty nervous because pastor's here and he's going to critique me. He's pretty good, so. (laughs) James chapter 4, verse 13, that is where we are going to be at today. James chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to be talking about planning. James chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as we talk about plans that we make, Uh, And we interact with this text, Lord, that we would come to recognize that our plans are a reflection of our desires and goals in our lives, Lord. And I pray that our plans would ultimately make sure that we are glorifying you in all that we do, that your name is praised in every square inch of our lives. And God, just help us uh, with this text to examine ourselves and see if we are indeed in the faith in regards to our planning. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In James chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, 6, James is fleshing out what worldliness looks like in five different areas. In other words, he's contrasting what it means to be a friend of the world and a friend of God. In chapter 4, verse 1 and 3, he talks about our desires. In uh, verse 6 and 10, he talks about our attitudes. In verse Verses 11 through 12, he talks about conversation. In our passage today, verse 13 through 17, he's talking about planning. And then in verses chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, he's talking about money. Because friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God, you must live as a friend of God. In verse 6 through 10, James is contrasting what it looks like to be a friend of the world or a friend of God. And the world... They are characterized by pride, while God's friends are characterized by humility. Now, in verse 13 through 17, he shows us how humility and pride are demonstrated in our planning. And what he wants us to grasp, that even in the area of planning, we can look more like the world and less like children of God. Uh, I think of this quote that we learned at Snow Camp, whatever controls your time controls your mind. And whatever controls your mind controls your heart. And when it comes to planning, we plan things and what is controlling our planning. Church family, it's so important for us to come to understanding that when it comes to planning, we may be double-minded. We may be behaving as if God doesn't exist. We can make our plans about the future, and it's so easy. We can forget that God is in the process, and we become goal-oriented 
and not God-oriented. We become practical atheists. What is that? An atheist is a person who doesn't believe in the existence of God. Well, practical atheists is what we can become, and what is that? Living and thinking and deciding and acting and planning without ever giving God any serious thought of his word or his will for our lives. Practical atheists can attend our church and look like this. We can make plans about who we are going to date, what school we are going to attend, who are we going to marry, what vocation we'll be in, the size of our family, the houses that we may have, the cars we may buy, the portfolios and investments, and then we can slip into retirement. And all the while, we fall into the trap of this American dream, and we never included God in the process. See, God's word emphasizes that we do his will and not carry out our own agendas. In his word, he talks that man's will is inherently faulty and deadly. David talks about that he delights to do the will of God. A true believer is one who does God's will. And we see in James 4, 6, and 8 that a heart of humility is demonstrated by submission to the will of God. So as I talk to you today, my desire is to help us understand, are our plans according to the will of God or are our plans according to our will? Look at verse 13. The Bible says, come now, come now. What James is doing, you'll see this word also, come now, in chapter 5, verse 1. That word come now, he's trying to get our attention, wake us up that what he's about to say is of utmost importance, and we need to recognize this. And he says, you who say, these people, this businessman here, they're business partners, and they have an intentional plan of the success that they're going to have. They say this, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. These businessmen have a plan that they're going to go to a foreign land, they're going to be successful and make a profit. And here's the thing, they have their own timetable. They've chosen the day that they are going to specifically go down to the smallest detail. They've chosen their own destination, even though in that time period, traveled was not guaranteed. Think of the Samaritan on the road. They had their own expectation that they were going to make it safely. They said they're going to spend a year there. So they determined their own length of service, and they said, we are going to make a profit. We are going to have a desired outcome. And at first, you may be thinking, okay, Pastor Ari, what's wrong with planning? There's nothing wrong with planning. Proverbs 6 verse uh, 6 says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy ones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy ones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? Ants have a plan. They have a plan and it's good. That's not what James is talking about here. He's God is upset because we're living as if he doesn't exist. We are not including him in our plans. Let me try to explain this to you in modern terms, okay? So for me, 
My desire when I was younger, I still remember the book, it's still actually in my bedroom, when I was younger was uh, in first or second grade, mom, you can tell me later, um, first or second grade, I had a plan that I would go become a lawyer, I would move to Florida, I would have three, three boys, they would all be amazing at soccer, and that's how I would have my retirement. That was one plan. Okay, in high school, I had a little bit, okay, it kind of grew a little bit, but high school, first year there, my desire was I am going to get a full-ride D1 scholarship to play soccer at Missouri State University, okay? I was going to be a bear. I was going to be a striker or forward and be number 17, and I was going to start as a freshman, okay? Had all these plans line up. I was either going to study law or business, and I was going to have a smoking hot wife, okay? That was my plan, my own timetable destination. Now, what was reality? I went to a Division II school. I didn't start really in any games. Um, Marginal playing time. My number was number 21. Our team was pitiful. We went 1-14. and I only scored one goal. I played defense most of the season, and I only stayed at the school for a year, setting business, and I didn't meet my wife there. What happened? I transferred, and I went to Lancaster Bible College. I studied youth ministry, and I did find a smoking hot wife, so that one (laughs) did work out for me. Okay, my future planning was dead wrong, and honestly, at the time in high school, I was completely arrogant to think that I had full control of everything that was going to happen in my life, that I had this all mapped out as if God was nowhere in the picture. And this is a difficulty that James has with the people. They were not including God in their plants. Their everyday existence relied upon God, and yet they forgot to include him in their plans. So they never said, Lord, how can I please you with this decision? Is this decision that I am about to make acceptable to you? God, will you please order my steps today? Will you help me spend my time wisely? And what can this look like? It can be for the teen who's making college plans and you've mailed out your applications to all these different schools and you're waiting, anticipating, hopefully you get accepted to your number one choice and maybe you've shot up a prayer here and there, but all the while, was God included in any of the process? Did you ask God, what can I do for you to expand your kingdom? God, how can I use my skills, talents, and abilities to further your name. God, if I get accepted to this school, are there good local churches by that I can stay faithful there? God wasn't included in this decision. What else could it look like? It could look like this for a parent. I have a son, and I know when college is going to be expensive, I give my son two options. Hey, Amari, you either be really good at sports or really good at school. Okay, either your sports are going to determine your future or your school is going to determine your future. So I plan for him to excel. And what that means is I have to make sacrifices now. Okay, if I want my son to achieve and to be the best, if it's school, I'm going to have to send him off somewhere that he can get the best education. If it's sports, I'm going to have to pay a lot of money to get him in to competitive sports so that he can be successful. All the while, where was God in this part? 
Where's God in the fact that my desire for him to be successful so that I don't have to pay for his school means that he's going to miss out on growing deep relationships and fellowship with people at church, that he's going to miss out on spiritual influences upon his life, that he's not going to be available to get plugged in to the local church, that even though me as a parent, I may be faithful, how do I know my son will follow in my footsteps if he's not following me every day? You see, Stephen Davy, a pastor, says this. You might not spot practical atheists, but they become a little more obvious to you when you hear the advice they give their children. This is what he says. You need to choose a profession that pays well. You need to meet a nice boy or girl and get a good college education so you can land a good job, live in a neighborhood near your family, and you will notice you will have a great life. Again, I want you to understand none of this is inherently evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, where is God in this? Where is he in this? And we're going to get to it more so at the end, why this is so important. You could be a young adult planning on getting married to this guy and having kids and living in this city and working at this place, but where is God in this decision? I've seen people in my life that they've settled for someone that wasn't living for the Lord, but it made them happy. And I'm wondering, wait, didn't you forget to take counsel with the Lord? Didn't you forget to get his wisdom and understanding about this? Or it could be in your retirement. Uh, I'm decided uh, I'm going to start my own IRA. So that means I'm going to retire one day and I'm going to save up money. And maybe like in my retirement days, my plan is, okay, maybe Amanda and I can go back to where we honeymoon, St. Pete's Beach. You know, we can retire there in Florida. I can work on my tan. She can work on collecting seashells. Like, wouldn't that be great? And again, nothing is inherently evil with what I'm saying, but what it, here's the thing that's missing. Where is God in this, in the twilight years of my life? Where is God in this pursuit that, hey, maybe God has me wherever I may be at that time to still further his kingdom. Maybe God wants me to mentor parents. Maybe he wants me to disciple teens. Where is he in this equation? You see, What the problem that James has is that we've fixed our mind on our own desires and not even put God into the equation. Look at verse 14. He says, the problem with what we are saying is this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. His two arguments he wants to make here. First one is the wisdom argument. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Our lives are complex, and we have no control over it. Do we understand this, that we have no power or control over the future? None at all. We cannot determine our days. Our lives are completely unpredictable. At any time, we could have an injury. This year, or 2018-2019, I've had Three of our teens, guys, that have got injuries in sports. They didn't plan to get injured in their sports because that infringes on them being able to achieve there, okay? Or it could be a bad doctor's report or a financial crisis. Our days, we don't know. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We need to wake up and recognize that our life is 
out of our control, and it's unpredictable. Emergency rooms are filled today with people who have had different plans. I don't think anyone woke up today and said, hey, let me walk down to the kitchen, trip down the stairs, break my leg, and end up at the emergency room. We wouldn't do that. It wouldn't be like, okay, uh, Amanda is pregnant with Layla, and three months before, let me break my ankle so that when we have the baby, I won't have to carry the, um, the baby carrier. Amanda has to do all that. I didn't plan that. Our lives are completely unpredictable. In 1999, an author named Dave Freeman wrote the book, A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die. And it became an instant bestseller and included recommendations such as this. The Magnum Rattlesnake Derby. After a brief safety meeting, hunters are led on a private land to attempt to catch local rattlesnakes. Okay, he also wrote about running with the bulls in Spain. And he wrote about a bunch of people in England chasing a a wheel of cheese. Yeah, just like random things. What happened to him in 99? 2008, the author of this best-selling book, A Hundred Things to Do Before You Die, died at the age of 47. How? On one of his adventurous excursions? No. He tripped and hit his head at his house. Okay? What am I saying to you? Our lives are completely unpredictable. The guy, he only completed half of the hundred things. We don't know. What is our life? It's a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That word vanishes could be disappear. So we appear and then disappear. We're here today and then we're gone tomorrow. Senior Nick Dixon was a linebacker at Spartanburg High School. He tore his ACL in a game and he went for a routine ACL surgery, but he never came out. Our lives appear and disappear 10, 14 to 17-year-olds died in their sleep in Brazil with a fire that was coming. These guys were potentially going to be pro soccer players. We appear, disappear. Church family, we need to recognize that our lives are not in our hands. They are a vapor. There's brevity to our lives. And if we understood this, it would affect the way that we make decisions. You would make decisions not with yourself as a primary focus. You would cherish people more if you understand that your life is a vapor and mist. You would be concerned about the needs of others, which James talks about later in chapter 5 as he's directing his rebuke to the rich. We'd be concerned about the needs of others. And we would recognize that our lives are fully in God's hand. And we take a step back and say, God, whatever you want to do in my life. But there's another argument, the sin argument. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. J.B. Phillips captures this perfectly. He says this, you get a certain pride in yourself in planning your future with such confidence. Such self-confidence and arrogance. It's the thought of, look at what I have done. Look at what I have achieved. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I want to show you an example as Jesus talks about this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. In 
In this brief parable, Jesus is trying to illustrate a rich man who, like James Merchants and businessmen, had a definite plan to acquire wealth. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he told the parable, saying, The land of the rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Because this man had an abundance of crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build a larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay, it was a sin of presumption to assume that you could do whatever you want to do as if God doesn't exist. Most of us would not be this brazen and say things like this in public, but inwardly, what do our hearts communicate? Are we failing to observe our limitations? Why does James say that this is evil, that all boasting is evil? Because here was what his concern was. To confidently plan for the future without taking God into the midst is to make ourselves act as if we are a God, as if we are sovereign, as if we are in full control. And this is a problem because he talks about in verse 4-4 that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You see, these Traitors had put themselves above God, and that is a problem. In 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's what happens with our planning, because their planning was all based upon their own personal prosperity, and so their mind wasn't fixed on God. And that can become the problem for us too. When we make plans, we're not fixed on God's holiness and God's desire for our life, but our own personal prosperity. And that is the problem. That is what makes it evil because we are not adoring God for who he is. We are not saying he's worthy, even though he's worthy of all our affections. So what should we say? Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We have an alternative lifestyle that I'm so thankful for James putting in here. An alternative lifestyle if, if we would understand our lives that it's conditional. If we live, if we live before in verse 13 is we will go, but now is we will live. It's having the right perspective. It's saying this, Lord, whatever you want. Lord, let me, let me ask the Lord about this. Let me check in with the Lord. Let me talk to my Savior. Let me check in with my boss. You see, Jesus had this mindset in Luke 22, verse 42. He said this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We need to be a people that want to do the will of God in our lives. We need to be a people that desire to do his will. 
What does that look like? In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is this will of God? Spiritual worship. What do we have this? That we love God supremely and that we love others sacrificially. You see, here's the problem that I think James is trying to address. God has a master plan for our lives. Our little plans, our little hopes, our little dreams, we fail to remember that God has a bigger plan. He is trying to reconcile the world back to himself. So our planning needs to go through that filter is what am I doing to expand God's kingdom? What am I doing to make people praise his name? And that is a problem with our planning if we become like these businessmen is they weren't fixated on God's glory, but they were fixated on their own personal glory. And that is a problem. That is something that we want to address in our lives. I got to go to a conference back in the beginning of January, January 1st through the 4th, and we were with 6,000 college students, um, 18 to 25 years old. And a pastor, Pastor J.D. Greer, came, and he challenged them all this. And this is the mindset that we need to have. He said this to them. Everyone is called to missions. Are you a sender or a goer. Why is this so important? Because it's getting our mindset for the group there that we have a bigger mission at hand. Where we work and where we live is not anything compared to what God is doing to reconcile the world back to himself. And then he challenged the teens and the young adults to this. He said this, following Jesus means doing what you do well for the glory of God and doing it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. It means that God is at the center of your plans, your hopes, your future. You see, here's what it should look like with our plans. God, my kid's future is in your hands. Whatever you want them to do, whether it is become a doctor or if it's going into ministry, it's in your hands, but I want them to live for your glory. God, you can have my dreams, my future spouse, my retirement, whatever you want, but just help me, Lord, please, to make sure I keep you the primary thing in my life. You can have my finances. You can have my life. You can have my heart. You can have everything about me. Church family, when it comes to our plans, do what we say, does it communicate that God is number one in our lives Are we making plans in our lives as if he is not present? You see, what should determine our future is not our job, is not our education. It's God's will, God's plans, and God's desire for our lives to determine our future and should set the course for our plans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this message, how challenging it was to me to make sure that I I keep you in all my plans, that I make sure that you are the primary thing I think about as I make decisions to honor you, to glorify you. Help us, Lord, as church family, to be people that are committed to doing your will, to making magnifying you the most important thing in our life. 
Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.